Hello, this is HashMap on Tap with Randy Pitcher and Kelly Kaleffel. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into one of my favorite industry verticals we focus on at HashMap, healthcare. Kelly, welcome to the show. What are you drinking today? Hey, Randy. Good afternoon, and I appreciate it. I am drinking a Revolver Brewing Blood and Honey American Ale. Yes, I said blood and honey. Whoa. Yeah, so I think we've talked, we've had, uh, I've had bulletproof coffee on the show. Now I've had revolver, <laughs> a revolver brewing. There's a, there's a theme developing a here. Theme. Gotcha. Very Texas. Know. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, taste, uh, taste nice. I think it will go very, very well throughout the show. What are you enjoying today? Well, n- nothing with blood in it. So I'm not as on brand for the healthcare uh, podcast, but I am having a, a gin and soda water which we were talking before recording. Yeah. I called it a gin and tonic. I think technically it's not called a gin and tonic. I don't know what the listeners think. If it's just gin and soda water, can I call it a gin and tonic? Or am I being grossly inaccurate? I'm not sure. I, you, you know, whatever it works for you, what you like, just go with it. So it sounds just like, uh, yeah. I mean, is that is that a go-to every once in a while? Uh, every once in a while, yeah. right? I, if I'm, if I'm going to drink something that's not a beer or, yeah. or like wine... Yeah, gin. So uh, I have Seagram's um, extra dry gin. Nothing too fancy. I don't know. It's very reliable, stable uh, in my in my pantry. Very nice. Yeah. Well, keep me posted on how that does throughout the show as well. Oh, I will. Absolutely, I will. And uh, about today's topic, healthcare. I mentioned it's one of my favorite verticals that we work in, both because it has such a wide impact on so many people's lives. I think more than some other industries. When we think healthcare, we have a gut feel for what that means. That's an industry yeah. many of us interact directly with. You can touch and feel it. But for, for folks who maybe, you know, they, they don't see the full breadth of different companies that fall into healthcare, you know, not just the hospital down the street. What do you think of when we say companies that fall into the category of healthcare? Yeah, I mean, when we when you and I talked about healthcare, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is that obviously this is a this is a massive industry with a lot of different sectors. And, you know, just personally, I mean, I don't think anybody would tell you they don't want to live and live longer, <laughs> live healthier, live happier. I mean, the things that we eat, how we sleep, you know, exercise, you know, whatever those preventative measures we put in place uh, are, everybody's a little bit different. But I mean, this is this is a big deal, right? And it's not only a massive industry in terms of the number of companies and number of sectors. I mean, just pure dollar volume. The various sites are projecting by 2022 about a $10 trillion spend in healthcare, $10 trillion with a T. So it is, uh, it's massive. So yeah, companies, close to 800,000 companies total. But you know, let's, let's talk about some of the big names. If you look at healthcare services, facilities, those types of things. You've got companies like Kaiser Permanente, Kelsey Siebel, HCA out of Nashville. So healthcare services and facilities, where do we go to to get a healthcare service? And and obviously all the, the smaller practices around. And then you go to maybe medical devices. A lot of the smaller practices, a lot of the large practices, everybody's going to use medical devices. So McKesson, yeah. Cardinal, Medtronic, Johnson & Johnson, GE Healthcare. I mean, this even goes into some of the larger conglomerates like GE. And then none of us today, you can't go to a you can't go to a doctor, you can't go to a dentist without, you know, some notion of how am I going to pay for this? So there's a lot of managed healthcare medical insurance type companies as well. Yeah. So we use Humana actually at HashMap, you've got United Health Group out of Minneapolis, Cigna, all these types of companies. 
And so sorry, there's a couple more major segments uh, when I was thinking about this. You've got drugs and pharma, right? So Pfizer, GSK, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Bayer, those types of companies. Yeah. And it's not like these companies only do one thing. A lot of them kind of cross over and there's been a lot of acquisitions. That's what's tricky. Yeah. Yeah. It is. So it with is. healthcare, yeah. to me, healthcare is kind of a culture more than an actual industry. The big thing for me is how seriously they treat their data privacy and the networking rules. I mean, they get oh, yeah. down to the details where other industries, it feels like, you know, privacy and security are their cost areas. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a thing we have to pay for. We just have to do it. Where in healthcare, they're competitive advantages. Yeah. And it doesn't matter which sector we're talking about in healthcare privacy and data security are the name of the game. I mean, we've worked hashmap. We work with startups all the way to the really large guys. The size is irrelevant. Everybody has got really stringent requirements around that. And, and I mean, that brings up another point too, I was going to mention is don't leave out healthcare technology companies, right? I mean, you've mm -hmm. got a, a Cerner, but you've also got other companies that cross over into, into the technology side that provide maybe healthcare services or medical devices. And then a whole group of startups as well that are in that space. So it, it's a growing, robust space, tons of companies. And I agree with you. It's trying to sort through and categorize individual companies is really hard. Yeah. So when we're thinking about the kind of companies that come and ask HashMap for a hand, what are the kind of patterns we see in the things they're asking us for? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I think that, so let me take a step back a little bit. So when I think of patterns, What's going on in healthcare right now? I mean, it's demand, there's no doubt, is going up. It, it doesn't matter really the time of year. Everybody wants to, as we said earlier, live longer, live healthier. So the, the demand is going up. The, the technology is continuing to expand. So maybe it's medical operational technology. Maybe it's the types of devices. I had my, uh, my dad actually had a device put into to monitor his heart, you know, yeah. so those types of things. I mean, probably 20, 30, 40 years ago, that was unheard of right now. So he's literally got a sensor in his body now, right? Yeah. The skills to apply all this stuff. I mean, just the, the velocity of innovation in the medical space is pretty incredible. So I'm, you know, you've got this demand, you've got this pace of innovation, I think about this too, Randy, from a, you know, what's going on trending wise when we go in. So I've, I've got, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit older. Maybe I'm a lot older. A little bit. I, I, I'm, I've, I've got, got a, got, you know, got a back issue or two, but when I go in to my back doctor, right, I've, I have researched to the nth degree. Like I, I, I'm not going in just totally dependent on that surgeon or that doctor, or that, that clinician to tell me, what's wrong. I've got a pretty good idea. It's almost like they're validating in some cases, right? So yeah, if I get an MRI and it says, hey, Kelly, you've got an L4, L5 issue and spinal stenosis, whatever those things are, I can look that in. When I go in, I can ask really detailed questions. So that information that's available to us as, as uh, healthcare consumers today is, is really incredible. And then it, when you start getting into some of the real-time eventing and those kind of things, it gets really interesting as well. With all that being said, costs are spiraling. I mean, none of us probably, you know, whoever you're with or whoever you're not with, I mean, it's it's just really expensive. Yeah. So I think that trend as a as a macro trend is is really challenging. And the, the other thing I was thinking about, and, and then I'll I'm gonna circle back to you. 
with all of this going on, you got this velocity, you got all this technology, tons of money being thrown in. I mean, we're still struggling, right, with finding a cure to to cancer. So there, it's this it's this really a cha- it's a challenging industry. You see why a lot of people get into this and they just get consumed by it. Yeah. Those are some of the things at a high level that I'm seeing. It's, I'm not really talking about data right now, but I think it flows into the data conversation. Are you seeing differently or are there other aspects that I'm missing when I'm talking about that? Let me ask you real quick, and, and this is totally unprepared. I didn't know I was going to ask this. When you go to your doctor and you look at them, looking up your your chart or whatever on their computer, they all have the same kind of stand-up one. What operating system are they using? I have no idea. You never noticed? Usually, I, I, I would I would guess it's Windows. Sometimes. Windows? But is it modern Windows? Or are Man, we talking Windows? I feel older? like it's not modern Windows. It's I, like Windows yeah. 2000, right? Yeah. Yeah. Old school. Yeah. I, I don't have anything intelligent to say on this other than like, why is that the case? I know. Well, and I think if, if I extrapolate from my other experiences in like, you know, not the front of the house for healthcare. Yeah. It's that there's this um, older school mentality around technology and around kind of sticking to what works. And then there's a lot of, you know, regulations in the mix that as long as you're compliant right now, technically you're in the toe, like it's expensive to change. Yeah. And if if I'm a, especially a small practice, maybe an individual doctor or, or a doctor that's having to foot the bill in a, in a larger practice for my individual technology, if I have something that's working, that's getting the job done. I probably would be, there's so many other things I've got to do. Maybe I need this new medical device or this thing that's going to, you know, the kind of that patient record and all the information around that, maybe that does take a little bit of a second fiddle. I mean, there's a lot of aspects. Patient records are one thing. but To me, that's just such a broken windows thing, right? <laughs> yeah. If I see you can't keep your desktop up to date, how do I trust you to tell me what device goes inside my body? I mean, yeah. that's, that's a, just, It's just tricky, yeah. right? Not to, yeah. Okay. Anyway, so <laughs> a little <laughs> aside there. Um, something's uh, always confusing. Oh, we, we would have, there's probably a million of these uh, trails we could go down yeah. on, you know, personal experience, but that's a good one. I, I don't disagree with that at Just all. Just something I've noticed with people, like it's yeah. always the, the same stuff. Yeah. So um, going back, like what patterns do I see? I'll say in healthcare specifically, in, in the current times, mm-hmm. that there's been kind of a sense of bursting at the seams mm. in the IT infrastructure. Like not only are we looking to move to the cloud, which has been something we've been talking about for a while, even in the healthcare space, they know it's probably something long-term we want to have a component, a footprint in, but it is the current increase in demand that has forced the conversation to right now, not later, not, okay, next quarter, we'll talk about it. We need to get some portions of our workflows in the cloud for two real reasons. One, it is really expensive to scale just the, the rough compute up and everything's running slow. Two, is we don't have the security chops or the cloud native chops right now in-house to be confident that our data will be secure, that we're able to have multiple tenants. This is a big one. We have five, six, seven, eight customers right now. They work fine in our environment, but if we want to scale up to an arbitrary number of clients, how can we do that? What kind of patterns can work for that? Because our SSIS packages aren't cutting it right now. Yeah. Those are the two big ones. And then the end consumption, I think a little more than normal, what I would consider just general enterprise needs. Enterprise, they want faster BI. That's what they ask me for. Make my dashboards yeah. faster. Well, Healthcare wants that too, but they have a lot more programmatic access than maybe some other industries. So there's an element of being able to design for maybe white-labeled Power BI or white-labeled custom BI that you've generated for some portal. 
Yeah, that, that move to the cloud that you mentioned uh, a minute ago, too, I was thinking when you were saying that, that even some of the traditional legacy systems that healthcare firms have used over the years, like Epic, which is hugely popular oh, yeah. in that yeah electronic health, health record space, started back in the 70s, uh, late 70s. That actually has a cloud version now. So I, I think you're seeing when you know, I'm a, I'm a community hospital or I'm an independent practice or I'm, you know, some sort of large hospital group. And now my legacy systems or what I consider legacy starting to have offerings in the cloud. They've vetted it out. Okay. Let's start doing, we, we, they've kind of paved the path for us. Not everything is on prem anymore. Now I can go do some of the data and analytics stuff that I need to do in the cloud. My legacy systems are up there. And this is a recipe, I think, because HashMap, we play in a slightly different space than the the typical consulting just kind of ocean of bodies. We're not really trying to play in that space. So when people are asking, when is HashMap a good fit? This is kind of a convergence of cases where we are. Yeah. It's where you have a big migration, a thing that you don't do every day. You'll do it once, and then you'll right. be in the new environment, right? right? So it often makes more sense to do a consulting approach rather than try to hire someone, find those skills that you don't really know what you need in the first place. And then there's some element of knowledge transfer, and then there's a time element. If you had the first two things where you want to do it right, maybe you can take your time, do it piece by piece. But when you have either a big pending deadline with a Hadoop vendor that you're trying to get off of or with a on-premise warehouse that you don't want to re-up with. That mix of things where I need to move right now, I need to do it securely and safely while avoiding those pitfalls that yeah. you know it would take us forever to learn. And I cannot, it doesn't make sense for me to staff up on these skills internally. That's where a hash map really fits in. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it could be a new technology or it could be a net new analytics application or approach that you just have not done before that you need to accelerate. You can see the value out there, but just don't, like you said, have the skills or have the knowledge or have that you know, those, those at bats, if you will, to uh, ensure that that success level is going to be high. Yeah. I gotta, gotta put that jet fuel in the tank, right? Yeah. yeah. When, when you get that feeling, I gotta, I just gotta get past this deadline, this yeah. finish line. That's a good, good uh, indicator to call us. So something I like to ask in these kind of industry episodes we've been doing healthcare, is it booming mm. or busting right now? Yeah, that's, that is an interesting question because on the, on the surface you go, it's gotta be booming. You know, there's, there's so much demand for healthcare, but you know, I think we all, we probably all have a, a friend or two in the healthcare industry. And I think if you dig down a little bit and you talk to some of the folks that are, that are out there, maybe, maybe they have a private practice. The, the big thing that has happened that everybody knows about, because we've all done it is I, I know I personally have pushed off um, a, a, a tooth cleaning, right? Or pushed yep. off that just regular checkup. Uh, like so that- Semi-elective, like yeah. it's kind of on your own thing. Yeah. The, the elective, anything that's considered non-urgent, we have, we just pushed it out. It's pushed out at least- Like haircuts. Probably, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a great example. This stuff, medical, dental, anything related to that has pushed out. Any kind of uh, optional surgeries, if you will, push that stuff out. And I think that, well, I don't think, I know because I have friends, the, the effect on private practice has been exceptionally hard uh, to yep. deal with. So furloughs, layoffs, et cetera, uh, it, it's been challenging. So at, at a glance you go, this this has got to be just you know booming right now, but I, I think it's how you look at it. Now, the lack of demand at the private practice level flows up too to the larger companies because if I'm not doing anything in private practice where I might have been using 10 or 20 or 100, let's say, medical devices or something that, you know, a large firm manufactures, 
well, I don't need those anymore, right? So yeah. there is a bit, of, there's a ripple effect up even to the very, very large firms too. So time will tell on, you know, how this uh, decrease in revenues at a, at, a, at a small level, individual level, and the flow back to the, the larger firms is, is really going to play out. But certainly that non-urgent care has played a big part. Now, another thing I was going to mention that I think is really interesting, and it's not necessarily boom or bust, but I've, I've had a couple of situations where physicians have offered me remote options that I would have never thought that, never. Hey, yeah. Kelly, you can do this remotely. We'll just, they, they literally said, we'll just set up a zoom. I was like, yeah. okay, this is kind of nice. I don't actually have to drive over there and, you know, mask up and all those kind of things. I can just do it right at my, right at my desk or whatever. So, so that's really cool. And it's not for everybody, but maybe a let's say a dermatology appointment or yeah. you know something where maybe you've got an MRI and the physician needs to review the results with you, right? I mean, those are really cool options. And I know that the remote side has been coming on, but maybe it's accelerating a little bit. Yeah. Your thoughts on any of that? No, I agree. I you, Man, I was going to try to sneak up on you with that hot take of maybe it's not booming. Well, uh, I, it, yeah, well, you had I, it all ready prepared. No, I, I've got it. I've got another one too because again, I, I've had a few situations during the, during this time where I have. So when I've been to my my son actually did have a knee surgery probably two months ago, peak time, and I mean it was it was a just a ghost ghost town. At parking wise, I could pull right up to the front of the hospital, and then I, I had to do something for myself again. Where before I'm going, you know, sixth floor in the corner trying to get a parking spot. Now, I mean, it's it is uh, there, there's a significant decrease uh, in traffic. Talking further, uh, I've never been a pharma. I've never been in pharma sales. Yeah, but I know that the model in pharma sales has been let's go in person. Let's bring some donuts or sandwiches or something to the doctors. Let's let's show off our wares. It was a very high touch uh, sales type role. And I, I also wonder how that has been going. Just, you know, that, our, that's our, a question in general, just like the sales impact, yeah. right? Healthcare, like all industries we're going to talk about, this is something that's so, I'm always stunned by like, okay, you build one house as a constructor. You didn't just build one house. You like powered the lumber economy and the windows and the, the craftsmen and the fencing. And then, you know, all the paperwork that goes in and yeah. there's just, it's such a ripple effect. Now healthcare, it's the same thing, right? Yeah. And then, so like the sales impact, I mean, that all kind of feeds together. Uh, I like what you said about the the, the digital push because I felt I felt for a long time because I'm kind of curmudgeon-y about things. I'm very prickly in social environments, like yeah. with other people. And like you walk into a waiting room and you have to sign your name and that sounds so stupid. I don't want to sign my name. And like they ask you to fill all this paperwork and they're halfway digital because they sent me all the paperwork and I filled it out on their online app. But no, they need a physical copy too. And so I'm like, man, why did I spend time doing it? And so, I mean, this is a very whiny first world thing to complain about, but maybe this could be the final push. It's like, okay, cut the cord. Yeah. No more faxing things back and forth and back and forth and all this other just waste. Everything is so wasteful. Maybe let's just send an email. That whole faxing thing too is really odd. Again, I'm, we're getting off on some tangents here, but say, <laughs> well, I, because I, I was just in and I said, well, just send me the report, you know, just email me the report, you know, scan it, email, whatever you need to do, just email. No, no, we can't do that. We've got to, we've got to ma physically mail it. I said, well, it's my data. I, I'm, I'm literally authorized. I will sign something that says, please email it. 
So because I want it quicker, right? No, no. Well, you can yeah. come pick it up. Well, no, I don't want to come pick it up. I, I want you to email it to me. <laughs> and there are some things that are like, well, a doctor needs to look at this. What are you talking about? No, like, get, I mean, give me <laughs> yeah. a copy, right? Because yeah. this is interesting information. I, I thought it'd be cool in like an IoT revolution sense, like Fitbit kind of stuff, Apple Watch. That's a start. But yeah. what what if I was thinking this the other day? Because I, I don't know, there's a trend of like eating less sugar, right? That's pretty popular for like just health and longevity and stuff. And I thought it would be cool if my Fitbit could just tell me what my blood sugar level was at all times. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm not diabetic or anything, but I just thought that would be such a cool metric. But if you want that, you've got to go set an appointment and then get a doctor sign off and then get the blood work. And then like weeks later, they'll yeah. send it to you. And it's like, okay, three weeks ago at some random time, my blood sugar was this. That's not useful. Yeah. And I mean, I think that some of these things that we're, I guess, semi-complaining about or their inconveniences, I mean, I, I think it kind of feeds into some of those healthcare specific needs. I mean, there are there there are a lot of rails, a lot of guardrails around things like privacy and security, right? Yeah. So that's something where when you go, okay, well, why can't you just email it to me? Uh, the risk or the liability associated with that, or just the flat out, these are the rules, this is the way we're going to do it until something broadly changes. Uh, there's a lot of those kind of maybe healthcare specific things that have mm -hmm. to be taken into consideration anytime you're dealing with any type of individual data, right? I think there's a lot of room for innovation, yeah. right? And I think other people probably agree. And that's why we personally see a flourishing of the third party healthcare, like data handler, right? Or someone who can help you optimize for this thing we would never think about. And in normal course of running a practice, you wouldn't do yourself, but there's a lot of money and value left on the table. Yeah. So when we're thinking about the specific needs for some of our healthcare engagements, what are some of the topics that come to mind? Yeah. So again, what we were just talking about, I think security, privacy are at the top of the list. Uh, you hear all the terms. I mean, HIPAA is the one that gets thrown around a lot, which is the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. Oh, nice. Yeah. I mean, it is it is to protect and guard confidential patient information, right? I mean, I, yeah. I'm sure there were a lot of misuses of that over the years. So this came into play in the 90s. And, I, and, I, and, I, and again, I think it's why... <laughs> Uh, when you have those HIPAA type regulations, I can't actually just get an email because potentially somebody else could get access to that information, yeah. bringing a liability back on that on that they, clinic. So. They spell your last name wrong in your email, and they send it to someone else, Colafel instead of Colafel, and yeah. they, that's going to be a whole mess. Yeah, and you know just the potential fraud and abuse associated with somebody getting that information, or maybe maybe it's that uh, somebody else might have access to your your email maybe it's a it's a spouse or a friend or a partner or whatever and boom they find out something that they shouldn't have found who knows i mean there's a lot of that kind of you know just guaranteeing security and privacy is a big deal when it comes to personal info absolutely and it doesn't stop there so there's the traditional healthcare stuff that we think about as okay that's protected information but there's also just run-of-the-mill, personally identifiable yeah. information about yeah. who you are, where you live, you know, the kind of information. Every time I write my address down at some no-name practice, I think there is zero chance they secure this data appropriately. And yeah. the wrong person who wanted to, they have it. And then that goes into payment information, right? These days, you know, we don't just pay with cash or barter. We're putting credit cards down. We're putting debit cards down. So they, as much as any online marketplace, they have a ton of our information. And yeah. I don't necessarily think of them as out of the box, having the capabilities to store this information without some built-in culture and practice at the IT side. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, when I think about you, you were asking about specific needs for healthcare, and I mean, it's it's certainly a traditional industry. I mean, there there have been uh, doctors and physicians around for many many moons, right? But yeah, there's this. So you you have this people aspect, just like we're always dealing with people, technology, process, and I think that as we're transitioning to some of the more modern approaches, that's just a it's a challenge. We talked earlier about the traditional systems like uh, Epic that are now available in the cloud. Well, that's one thing. I've got, you know, my radiology information system. I've got my my limbs or my lab information system. I've got all of these things are um, these legacy systems, I think, are how to deal with those in a way that allows me to do more with the data in a secure and private way but ultimately, what, what's every healthcare organization looking to do is provide better patient outcomes. I mean, that is the name of the game is help me as a patient have a better outcome with whatever I'm dealing with. Yeah. And so the fact that we're dealing with a lot of these legacy systems uh, in place today can can hinder that a little bit. Right. So that to me, that's one of the needs is how do I make that transition? Yeah, and I don't. I don't think it's going to be a pure cutoff. Where in some oh. industries you do the lift and shift, and then you do some innovation. Right now we're in the cloud. Uh, I think you are for a long time going to have some element of hybrid cloud, which in healthcare some things are not going to leave the data center. Some things are not leaving the local network, and maybe that's for the best. So how you build for that environment and help people understand: okay, this stuff stays here. This stuff can go in the cloud, and building that culture at the root, that's really important because again, there are large uh, large things at stake if this is done improperly. Yeah, and I mean, all of those systems too, whether they're on-prem or in the cloud, Randy, I mean, they, they have to interact, they have to connect, they have to potentially exchange information. I know that we were doing, uh, a couple of years ago, we were doing a, a workshop with a large hospital system and uh, they kept coming back to this need to really do more. There's a, there's a, uh, I guess I'll call it a data exchange or messaging exchange format called HL7 in uh, in healthcare. Health level seven, I think, is what it is stands that for. Their, uh, is that their WitsML equivalent? Boom! That is exactly what it is. Yes, it's it basically is is the is the format or the standard that enables clinical applications to exchange data, and mm -hmm. so it's. Uh, but you know, all of these. So you're talking about you know legacy systems. You've got some of these kind of unique uh, data standards out there. You've got the people aspect, you've got the existing process, you've got a very low risk tolerance at, I mean, yeah. they're, they're at all, right? I mean, we're talking about uh, people here and, and how how those outcomes can be made better. So there's, there's not much uh, room for much risk at all there. And then are the skill sets that I've been, you know, again, talking about specific needs for healthcare, are the skill sets on the technology side up to speed where I need them? Um, yeah. Are they are they more in the legacy world, or am I able to do some of those more interesting things? And and obviously, when you look at you know healthcare and some of the research that goes on around trying to find cures or you know a new approach, these types of things. I mean, there's some incredible stuff happening at the same time that the you know that traditional or, or more legacy piece is going on as well. This is a delicate needle of thread yeah. too, because they have so much subject matter expertise baked in to their current resources. So it's not simply a matter of going and grabbing, you know, some fresh person out of college because they don't have the really core things you need to understand how to work in this business. Yeah. So 
how can you how can you move in a way that allows the the folks you currently have who have that subject matter expertise to be really productive in your new environment with the skills they already have? Not everyone needs to pick up Python and be you know a serverless AWS cloud engineer wizard. It doesn't make sense. Some cases, sure, but if you can stick to the SQL that you already know, if you can stick to the protocols and data sources you already know, and then those self-service BI tools, you can put that subject matter expertise to work in ways that actually deliver value rather than just you know doing whiteboard impressive architecture stuff that's mostly just hot air. Yeah, no, no, I agree. Hey, give give me your thoughts. So when you look at at a healthcare engagement, again, let's yeah. take sectors out. Let's just say in general, healthcare engagements, what are the specific things that you see related to healthcare that customers are asking for over and over again? Yeah, great, great question. I'm really seeing a lot of BI and some element of real-time applications, particularly in insurance environments or some payment use cases where fraud is a concern. Yeah. And, and there's more application access than I see in some other industries, right? Digital marketing, they certainly have some of the product might feed back into it, but they're mostly looking to get those dashboards together, maybe do some real-time exchange work. I'm also seeing a much more advanced hunger for audit capabilities. And this pushes us towards tools that are self-describing that you're able to tap in directly. You don't have to build a whole kind of additional ecosystem on top of your infrastructure to provide audit for you. It's not an after the fact bolt-on. It's baked in and part of it. So I'm gonna say Snowflake. I always like to go back to that one because it exposes all your usage back to you as a table, as another source in the system. And so when I work with people who are used to maybe other environments where the query history isn't directly at their fingertips, where they can't replay things that have happened in the past or provide automated audit reports to their audit team, which can be very difficult to do manually, it comes up every quarter, it's a huge pain we see. We can help them in their first engagement, just automate that. Yep. If anyone wants the live, not the weekly or the monthly, the live report of if any violations have ever come up, they can access that directly, just like it's any other dashboard. So those are some of the things that I see happening there. And then the automation mm. demand, the data quality demand. Some of these concerns we see all around. I want my data to be trustworthy. I want to verify it, but I want to do it by hand, right? How can I just make that a part of the process? Because again, data quality, just another source of data. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I mean, when you talked about that, I was thinking some of the things that, that healthcare organizations need are, are not necessarily specific to healthcare and data quality yeah. is, a, is a great one to think of. If, if I am a data consumer, either internal to a healthcare firm, or maybe I'm a customer of a healthcare uh, you know, insurance company or a clinic or whatever it is, I want, I want the same things almost that I want in other industries that give me Give me things that are very contextual to me. I don't want to have to, as you said, why am I filling out two or three times the same, you know, contextualize this for me, curate it for me, personalize it for me. Give me a high level of trust, obviously, that is going to be secure. It's going to be private. Nobody else is going to be access, accessing this, but please let me access it. I don't want to wait. I, I want low levels of, exactly. of friction, right? There's a, there's a thirst for it. It's not like we're trying to give you the medicine you don't want. It's yeah. good for you, but you know you have to do this thing that yeah. you don't want to do. They, people want it. One of my favorite design, I'm a very questions-based kind of sales engineer. I get in and I ask, what part of your job do you hate? What is that portion of your day that you just dread? It's a good one. And that is a great way to get them to talk about, well, the manual data cleaning, the back and forth and email, getting the providers to line up, right? Yeah. Just being stopped because I don't think anyone wants to be bogged down in bureaucracy. You want to be compliant, but we don't want to just be stuck 
asking the same questions over and over. They want that automation. They want to move on to answering those really cool questions and doing those cool value add activities they thought they were going to do when they got into this space. Yeah. So it, it's a nice win-win there to ask people about that. The other one, I always like telling this story, ask people what wastes the most of their time in a week, right? And ask it in front of their managers because they'll say it's usually data quality or data discovery or, or some other thing where the manager's like, no, there's no way it takes that much time. Well, yeah, no, it really does. And that stuff sneaks up on you where in the moment you don't think of it as being such a big dread, but when you add that up over the course of a week, a month, a year, it's just a huge drag on your efficiency. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it, uh, it, sometimes the, the most mundane things, uh, you know, just getting those addressed can improve quality of life so much. And I think that those same themes, as you said, I mean, those tend to repeat across these very, I'm a medical device, I'm pharma, I'm a large clinic, I'm a small clinic, whatever those things are. I mean, they, those, trends continue to repeat and, and how can I address those in a way that again, driving it back, how will that help patient outcomes be more predictable, be more reliable, just be better in general for all of our consumers? Perfect example. You find out that there was bad data in a source and it's already gone through the pipeline. Your first step is to fix the data, but now you have to find some way to extract the bad portions and then put the good portions back in. What if it was as simple as going in, fixing the, the broken part, and then you're just done? Go get a yeah. cup of coffee. In 90 seconds, it will have fixed itself. Those levels of automation, that buys so much end user trust, both in the quality of the data and then also in your ability to collaborate with them on larger activities. If you want to do that big AI ML project, I promise you, you're going to need those business users on your side yeah. and working with you. You're not going to be able to do it yourself. So these are some really easy ways, especially the automation stuff, to build that credibility early on so they will want to work with you. Yeah, no, I agree. And I mean, you started talking about some of the, it felt like you were diving a little bit into some of the use cases. Or what, exactly. what, what are you seeing out there from a use case perspective right now? As we've talked a little bit about the need, we've talked a little bit about you know, what's the perspective in healthcare? What are we seeing? But are there some specific use cases that are, continuing to bubble to the top across these various healthcare sectors that you're seeing? Well, I think, I think we danced around on audit and the automation of providing those audit reports in different environments. Yep. That That's just, it's a weight around your ankles, just keeping you from moving on. I don't know if there's a lot more to say about that. The next would be, I think, digital marketing. That's a space that I've been, you know, kind of eye-open to see how much direct kind of tech for digital marketing directly to consumers occurs in healthcare environments, even large healthcare companies, insurance companies. So their kind of main problem is the data is just scattered everywhere, right? Yeah. Same story that we hear in a lot of spaces. It's in too many spots. I can't get it in one place. I know the questions I need to ask, but I can't get answers to them very quickly. It takes me a month to get the data correct. It takes me another two weeks to analyze it. And so it's a six week process to make a decision. And by that time, the the answer is out of date. That doesn't help me at all. So I see a lot of digital marketing being of use there as well as that audit and automation. What about you? Yeah, I. so I'm, I'm looking back, working with healthcare companies, say, three or four years ago to today. And I, I was taking a look back at some of the documentation that we had on some of the outcome and use case workshops that we had done then and now. Yeah. So one of the challenges is when you, you're sitting down with a large hospital system or a pharma company, medical device, whatever it may be, is 
help me assess this risk and value continuum. Where, where do I fall on risk? Where do I fall on value? And how, what's the optimal mix of that? You know, yeah. as you said, what are you, what are you struggling with the most? What are some of those data sources you're dealing with? You know, the, the patterns, the flows, everything from acquisition through to consumption, the risk associated with that for people, process, technology. And, and looking back, uh, I'd say three, three and a half years ago, top value risk, and I'll, I'll, I'll list these off. I'm not going to name the company, but it was a very yeah. large healthcare organization. Top, top one, outcomes analysis. Help me from a financial, operational, and clinical perspective. That's who within the organization this was affecting, provide better patient care, and deal with some of the data associated with both the SQL data sets, and we talked about these HL7-related uh, data sets to affect better outcome analysis so that I can give better information to my patients. That was that was number one top, I'll call it executive wow factor. Uh, yeah. the, the, the second one, again, very much in the patient uh, side of things, was post-op imaging analysis. And again, this is, yeah, structured SQL, uh, helping on the, both the operational and the financial side, a very high user population, a lot of this done all the time. And it had a, an extremely low risk, high executive wow factor. The third one I'll mention was vital sign trending. So again, patient well-being. How do I provide a better outcome for my patients? Again, this is some structured, some HL7 data sets. Mainly yeah. this was on the clinical side. This didn't have anything to do with operational or financial. This was mainly on the clinical side. And again, a very high user population uh, use case. Was interesting about this one, it had, had some static data or data at rest type components, as well as data in motion type components. So some of those uh, IoT type data. So if you talk about vital sign trending, those are sensors that are you know, giving literally millisecond type updates on what's going on with the patient. The last thing I'll say for the moment is that, you know, in the course of about a two hour session, we went through nine use cases. So you talked about digital marketing. They talked about marketing as the face of the organization, as the top marketing initiative within the uh, within this hospital system. 360 degree view of the patient, right? How do I get all of the data on this page? You know, patient system departure through to doctor action. How do I compress that? How do I get better patient-wide retention uh, or better yeah. system-wide patient retention, I should say, across this? I've got limited available. I mean, there's there are just there probably if we'd have been there for a half day, there would have been, you know, 20 or 30 use cases. I mean, they just go on and on. And again, helping a, a healthcare organization sort this out around risk and value and getting some things done quickly is really important. That's where I would like to spend some more time, right? We, we don't necessarily get to pick our projects, right? People come to us with the problems they have, but I haven't really gotten to work with the clinical side or really some yeah. more the R&D side. I'm really working more on the operations side, right. the marketing side, the finance stuff. How do I make this faster, quicker, better? How do I identify quality issues, not just with data, but with like the product that we're manufacturing, those kind of things, yeah. which are interesting, but man, how cool would it be to help build a, a test that can tell you three days earlier that you're going to get sick with something, right? Or who can have an actual impact on lives. I'm sure, you know, filtered through the chain of some of the impact we can help that. Yeah, yeah it does have a positive impact on 
patient outcomes. But to get straight to the meat and the bones of it like that, man, that is so cool. Yeah, no, I know the clinical side's really interesting. And, and you talk about Im- impact on, on those individuals. And that's why it's such a high priority, I think, for all of these healthcare organizations. You know, when you impact patient outcome, there's also risk associated with that. So there's a there's there's certainly a level of, of skepticism. Hey, we've been doing it this way for many, many years. You know, we move patients during a stay from, uh, let's say, uh, the ER waiting room into the ER, into, a, you know, that patient movement process was another one. You know, how do I avoid, you know, patients sitting in the in the in the hallway in, a, in, a, in an ER and provide a better overall experience? There's a free bed on floor four. I don't know about that in the ER. Maybe that's a better way to do that. You know, there's just all of those kind of things the, the, the healthcare organizations are thinking about. The best way to address that, the only way really, is with data and making that yeah. data more and more near real time or real time as possible. Absolutely. And on top of those, there are the just the infrastructure plays that everyone can benefit from. We have the security and cost monitoring. We have the the multi-tenancy design for like a SaaS expansion. So you, not every new customer is the first customer you've ever had that requires all this custom work. And then to some lesser extent, there is the migration. We have this existing infrastructure today. We want to get it to this other environment very quickly. We have a deadline. Help us get there. Uh, those are some of the things, again, that kind of tops it off as healthcare requests that we get all the time. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, those those really do cut across. And, and I think you can look at use cases in the healthcare industry on, we're, we're talking more broadly, but if you do look at it on a sector by sector basis, I'm not going to spend a ton of time here, but let's just take pharma, for instance. What What is pharma? Yeah. Pharma is essentially process manufacturing, right? I mean, I am putting together a formula uh, to really get a bunch of raw materials into some final product. I, I A pill, I can't, I can't break that down into like subcomponents once I get a, you know, a low dose aspirin. It is what it is, right? So that's it's process manufacturing. Well, there's a lot of process manufacturing companies out there that are not in healthcare that are dealing with the same types of things. What can you take from another industry that's doing process manufacturing, maybe in oil and gas or somewhere else, and take that same learning into a pharmaceutical company or vice versa? take a learning in a pharma company into another process manufacturing company. So I think there's a lot of things that are related to data that are specific to a sector as well, that certainly maybe in a future episode we can dive down into as well. That's what I really like about being part of an industry kind of agnostic company where we're not focused on one, is that each of these industries have their own little quirks and they have their really high competencies. And the bar is always raised in some dimension when working with a pharma manufacturer or in working with, you know, an IOT expert for oil and gas field work. And then those lessons stay with you, right? If I'm working with a a tech company on the West coast and they just, their ad spend is you've never seen it before. They have no problem spending millions a month on the cloud. You can learn what that kind of scale requires and you can apply those lessons to people who aren't there yet and then help them one, solve their problems today, but then two, be prepared if, and when they hit those kind of scales. So you can help them pave that path ahead of time without having to build it all right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I like uh, I like that path paving and I like paths that have been paved also in, in other industries. Maybe 
you know, maybe I've, uh, you know, in, uh, in financial services, I've paved the path on migrating from an appliance to the cloud. Let me mm -hmm. replicate that. You talked about kind of this general thing of, you know, warehouse appliance migration. That's something that you could, you could take across industries, obviously. I think, you know, supply chain optimization. How do things move through the pharmacy supply chain to that end pharmacy where I can actually purchase something as a consumer, right? Supply chain optimization, again, this cuts across. And I think that there's so much opportunity for, you know, this cross industry learning and taking from a data perspective and cloud perspective to apply into the healthcare space uh, can be really interesting. The, the other one I was thinking about, Randy, that you and I have, have dealt with a lot is this notion of predictive analytics using real-time or near real-time data sets. And, you know, maybe it's machine failures in a, uh, predicting machine failures in a, in a pharma process manufacturing environment or something like that. I mean, again, these are, these are not easy problems to solve, but certainly the technology the data that's available, the way that that data is being consumed and processed now uh, makes that much more of a reality. Going back to your idea early on of how can I maybe leverage some of these machine learning and AI capabilities in the healthcare space? Absolutely. Yeah. Broad, broad area, lots of opportunity. Um, I think we see that as well with companies making room in the space and then applying innovation all over across the entire chain. Oh, yeah. So moving on here into our lightning round, I know we typically or we sometimes have a lightning round. We're going to stick with one lightning round question today. And I was going to ask you, Kelly, uh, we're, we're getting, we're not, we're not quite in Q4, but yeah. it's September now. I'm starting to feel the, the pull of fall, right? Starbucks has pumpkin spice lattes now, uh -huh. which is fantastic. That's the true it's good smell. Up. That is a really good smell. Yeah. Yeah, it is, man. So now I'm thinking end of the year yeah what's going to happen 2021 if you'd asked me 2019 what are your predictions for 2020 this is not an interesting thing to say but i would not have predicted much of what has happened in 2020 yeah looking forward next year kelly yeah. what's your one big prediction for next year well i i gotta i gotta tell you i'm i am not uh i'm, I'm the farthest thing from a prediction machine and okay. i'm i'm going to stick in the healthcare space i'm going to stick in the pers personal healthcare space my one big prediction for 2021 is that I'm actually going to be able to have get my back fixed where I can stand and walk. Again, we're talking healthcare here, stand mm -hmm. and walk without pain. That's what, because I, I honestly, I've chickened out two or three times now. So I am going to make that happen. Uh, going into 2021. Now I know that's, that's on your mind. That's a that was your that was your superpower as well. You <laughs> want that backwards. This is a common theme. I mean, I've got it's a it's a healthcare theme for me. So that's that's a that's a kind of a lame big prediction for 2021. I bet you've got a much better one than I've got. I don't know if it's better, um, but my prediction is around the data space, and I've said this before. I, I think we see an increased like step-by-step -step maturing, right, moment for different parts of the data path, the journey. Um, I think that Tableau and tools like it have really made making world-class visualizations something anyone can do. It just opens it up to everyone. And so you move next, like, well, how do I get data into this machine, into this application? That's where Snowflake comes in, right? They've really solved that problem of cloud-scale data warehousing. And then it's like, well, how do I get data <laughs> into yeah. Snowflake? And then you have a five train come up, a stitch, a matillion, yeah. and they help solve that problem. 
I think right now we're trying to figure out what transformation looks like for everyone. Matillion has some good ideas on that. DBT, data form, they have some thoughts. And then, of course, Informatica and data stage, they, they don't want to go quietly into the night, right? They've got some thoughts on how it should be as well. I think that's where we're at right now. 2021, I'm going to say it right now, that is going to be the year of the discovery of the catalog of data Ooh, quality. Tough problem. Self- yeah, it's a huge problem and it relies just like these other ones. You couldn't have five tran until you had Snowflake yeah. and BigQuery. Just couldn't happen. Yeah. So once that occurred, now it opens a space for a five tran. You have five tran in place. Now it opens a space for the, the DBT for the data form. Um, and I think once you have that transformation piece in place, that opens the space much more widely for a world-class consumer first discovery cataloging question asking, man, why can't I just ask a question about this data set I have access to? Because I'm sure someone knows. Uh, And then tightening, you know, the communication network, that mesh that has been kind of siloed in the last 20, 30 years, more than that, right? We want to break those silos down by bringing the technology to where people are, as opposed to getting everyone in the same organization, because that's kind of not working. As much as we get asked about data uh, data catalogs, not just in healthcare, but across every industry, I, I really hope that prediction comes true. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, thank you uh, for being on the show today and for talking healthcare with me. Enjoyed it a lot, Randy, as always. A lot of fun, great topic, and uh, hopefully everybody learned a little bit. I know. I know I learned a little bit as well. Um, so thank you also to the audience for listening. We really appreciate when you when you tune in and spend some time with us. Please subscribe for more HashMap on Tap content, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to HashMap on Tap. Be sure to subscribe for weekly new episodes and visit HashMap's Medium blog for new data and cloud technology perspectives. If you have any comments or suggestions for the podcast, please visit the HashMap on Tap page on HashMap's website. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in.